Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. Kim Scheuer, MD, loves de-prescribing medications, helping her patients become younger, more fit, and healthier by adopting positive lifestyle choices. Dr. Scheuer, MD, is available for telehealth appointments. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Kim Scheuer. Greetings and welcome back, Dr. Scheuer. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. I'm really so happy you're here. I'm happy you're back. We've had you on a few times before, and every time you come on, you are always so helpful and informative, and people just really like you. You're getting a little fan club over here. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be on your show, and I love what you do. So thanks for getting the word out there. Well, thanks. This topic that we're going to talk about today, fibromyalgia, it's really important because it just doesn't seem like there's very much information that's helpful out there. I mean, I even looked on the internet for, to try to find things to be helpful about it. And other than medications, of course, I just really didn't see too much to help people. So I was really happy that you were willing to talk about that today so that we could help people. So I wanted to start off with our true or false questions. Sounds good. It's time for true or false on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below, and Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay, so our first question is, fibromyalgia is a diagnosis for middle-aged women. So everybody, you type in true or false. What do you think in Dr. Scheuer, tell us what your answer is. Okay. So yes, it's more common in women. It's about 10 times more common in women than men, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen to men too. So it is not just for middle-aged women. Okay. Well, I cleared up a little myth for people. So now if we're going to be talking about who's affected, let's do another true or false. And that is fibromyalgia only affects older adults. True or false, guys, type it in, Dr. Short. So absolutely not. It's actually something that can happen anywhere from about age 25 through age 60 is where it's most common, but it can get more prevalent as you get older. And it's interesting. I mean, about 2% of the population in America has it, but it, as you get older, it's up to about 10%. Wow. It just, I, it feels like more people have it than that because I just feel like I hear so much about it, but that's still, I mean, it is still a lot of people. So let's do another one. Fibromyalgia and arthritis, are they the same condition? True or false? Okay. Dr. Scheuer. Well, those people who saw me shaking my head, no, no, that is false. <laughs> um, so basically fibromyalgia is a pain syndrome that affects muscles, tendons, ligaments, but it's all without inflammation. So arthritis is an inflammatory thing. See okay. arthritis labs that are up, like inflammatory labs that are up. But in, in fibromyalgia, the labs are normal. Interesting. So what are some of the fibromyalgia symptoms that people might come across? So it, we used to check for fibromyalgia by pushing on different areas on your body. And you had to have a certain number of areas that were tender spots. But now it's really fatigue. So that's a big thing. You're tired all the time. You wake up not, not rested. Um, pain, you know, and it's usually generalized pains. There's certain part, points where you might feel more tender, but we don't use that as our diagnosis anymore. And then there's um, cognitive problems. 
So it's not only memory loss, but it's attention. And so those are some of the major things that happen with fibromyalgia. Um, otherwise, you have normal exams. You have normal blood work. You have normal CAT scans. You have uh, and other things like that. But we do check to make sure, uh, you know, we check your thyroid function. We check if you have diabetes. We check if you have um, Lyme disease and other things because other things can, one, be what it is instead of fibromyalgia or two, trigger fibromyalgia and to be associated with it. But fibromyalgia is often associated with an injury, a previous injury. So a traumatic, a traumatic injuries when you're young, traumatic events when you were young, it can be associated with that. And um, it's interesting because, yeah, so that's part of it. We'll talk more later about other issues. Okay. So are you saying that there is not a test? Is there a test for fibromyalgia? It's a, it's a test of exclusion at this point. Mm -hmm. So you have to exclude everything else. And then you diagnose with fibromyalgia. There's associations like family history. If you, if your family members had it, there is a very high, much more highly likely you had it. Um, you have it. And then there are some genetic factors and things like that that can be associated. Wow. So now I think it used to be that there was a certain amount of time that would lapse for you to have symptoms before it would be considered that. Is that still the case? It's usually over three months of continuous, you know, symptoms. Right. But it, so it also can wax and wane, but it's diffuse pain over three months. Wow. So you could have normal blood tests, normal blood count, and still have this happening. Yes. Well, I mean, that's the part of it is the lab tests are usually normal. Mm. Now, if you have thyroid issues and we treat the thyroid and the symptoms go away, then it wasn't fibromyalgia. It was thyroid issues. If it continues despite having now normal thyroid levels, then we have to consider that it's fibromyalgia. Are there other conditions you might be treating alongside and then maybe you can those might go away and then you're saying, and then, but still there are yeah. symptoms that are happening. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. pain, fatigue, mood difficulties, mm -hmm. things like that, yeah. sleep abnormalities are all involved with fibromyalgia, but you can have um, depression and anxiety separate and have fibromyalgia also. So mm -hmm. you have to separate out is the mood disorder from a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder versus the fibromyalgia. You could have both, which is frustrating. If you have chronic headaches or chronic fatigue syndrome, so fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome is different than fibromyalgia. So you can have both of those together. Some people with fibromyalgia end up having things like sensitive tongue, um, weird feelings in their fingers, environmental sen sensitivity. So there's lots of things, um, sound, light, or odor sensitivities, you know, like light just gets them. Um, and so I see people coming into my office with dark glasses when they have nothing else wrong. And that's part of their fibromyalgia. So it's a difficult one to tease out from other ones. Some people who have rheumatoid arthritis have a tendency to have a little bit more fibromyalgia too. So, mm -hmm. but that's a different disease. Remember the fibromyalgia is not inflammatory, whereas the rheumatoid arthritis is. Right. So because if it was inflammatory, then the markers would come up with correct diagnostic testing. Right. So if somebody thought that they had fibromyalgia, how would they get it diagnosed? So first thing would be see your general family practitioner or your general doctor, whether it's an internist or a family practitioner or somebody that you trust and knows you well. 
And then, um, or you can come to plant-based telehealth and we can talk to you about it because we would tease out the doctors at plant-based telehealth would help. And this is an online program where you can do uh, telehealth visits. We can help tease out what's really going on. Is there something else that we need to treat? And then if that treats the fibromyalgia, great. If not, you know, then we can work on treating, working on that fibromyalgia. And fibromyalgia can be really scary because you have a lot of issues. You, you can't sleep, you have pain, you're feeling terrible. But it's the one thing is that's good to know once we've ruled out all the other stuff or treated other things, that fibromyalgia is not life-threatening. It's life annoying, very seriously annoying, but it's not life-threatening. And there are a multitude of things we can, you don't go through one thing. You don't, there's lots of ways to work on it, but it's a multidisciplinary way to work on it. So it's, it can be medications. It's certainly lifestyle. Um, and there's different kinds of medications. Um, there's lots of other things that you can do. Uh, first of all, definitely working on sleep, sleep habits, um, working on exercise. Now, a lot of my patients who have fibromyalgia, if they exercise too much, then the next day they can't move. Yeah. So we have to work on the right balance of exercise but movement is very, very important. And things like yoga are helpful. And at least three times a week, I want you moving. And walking is a great way to move more. You have to move your body because if you don't, then you won't help treat fibromyalgia. There are other options like hypnotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, acupuncture, TENS units. There's tons of things we can use, um, including counseling, because it may not be the fibromyalgia that we need to treat with the counseling, but it's how you deal with it and how you live with it, because you certainly can live and function well, even if you have it, even though it's scary, we can get the symptoms under control and, and help you live your life very full and happy. That's so comforting to know, because I know of some people that do have it. And I think of it kind of like an iceberg. You know, yeah, we're from exactly. people from the outside. We just, we kind of see that they're suffering a little bit, but we have no idea what they're really feeling. And it, that must be comforting. Just to remind everybody, if they haven't seen you on the show before, that you are a practicing physician for plant-based telehealth. And I put, the, put it up in the show notes, also link. I think this is one of those times that it would be so appropriate to consult with you or, or one of the other docs on board because somebody who has fibromyalgia just may not be comfortable moving and, and traveling and, and they might just not feel good about, just like you said, walking around with sunglasses. This is something that at telehealth, it, it would be appropriate. And we currently have nine physicians. We cover all 50 states and DC. We see people from overseas. You can go on to plant-based telehealth. If you want to look for a doctor, you say which state you're in because it's important what state you're in to which doctor you can see and put your state in, whether you're Medicare or not, and then it'll pop up. All right. Well, we're going to take some questions. And you guys, if you have a question for Dr. Shore, please go ahead and post it. We'll be asking some of them now, and, and we may be holding on for some of them later as we go through the presentation. We talked about sleep. So I think this is a good question. So Jen wanted to know, do you have any tips for better sleep with fibromyalgia? Absolutely. It depends on why you're not sleeping with fibromyalgia. Is it the pain or is it 
stress or what's going on? Are you having troubles going, falling asleep or staying asleep? So that's where you can come to plant-based telehealth and we'll get you more information. But there's a couple of good websites to look at just before you come in. So, so there's lots of behavioral things that you can work on, like keeping your room at night cold and dark. That helps with sleep. Getting off of um, computers or the phone, you know, or anything that's blue to, you know, blue light before for at least an hour or two before you go to sleep, you know, making sure you're not having caffeinated beverages too close to sleep. There's lots of things. So sleep is very complicated, but there's a good website by Dr. Huberman, um, the Huberman lab, and uh, they have a sleep checklist that's amazing. And he has really technical information onto the science of sleep. But with fibromyalgia, if you're doing all the right things in terms of sleep hygiene, not eating close to bedtime, eating light meals at, at your dinner and eating properly, and that's part of a major thing with fibromyalgia, not only the movement, the stressing less, but it's it's eating a proper diet. And there's a lot, because you want to decrease your oxidative stress, you want to decrease your cytokine responses. And so a whole food plant-based diet is really, really important. And for some people with fibromyalgia, it's a low fat, whole food plant-based diet, more raw foods. Some people have to avoid glutens, but that it depends. So there's things we need to work on that. We want to make sure you're getting plenty of vitamin D and things like that. And, and vitamin D affects your sleep. So you want to get early sun, not just you know, early light, not your light in your bedroom, but early sun exposure to help your sleep later in the evening. So there's lots of things like that. So you can do that. There's some hypnosis things like you can get Calm, an app called Calm or Headspace.com or there's Sleepio, which Sleepio is another thing that physician has to prescribe, but I've used it with some of my patients and it works amazing. It's a six week course which is 20 minutes a week, really adjusts the sleep cycle, especially for folks with fibromyalgia. So there's lots of things we can tell you about that might help. But go to Huberman, um, the Huberman, Huberman podcast. I think it's his second podcast that is specifically on sleep. That's so fantastic. Yeah, I know that some people think that they shouldn't have caffeine maybe before bedtime, but caffeine really has a pretty long life in someone's system for some people, maybe longer than others. Yeah, there are fast and slow, slow metabolizers of caffeine. So some people who have a cup of coffee at eight o'clock in the morning still have half of it in their system at 10 o'clock at night. So of course they're not sleeping. And there's also melatonin, which tends to help some of the people with um, fibromyalgia with sleep, but it's really, it's a huge thing. And it's a we lot. could just do we could just do we a could talk do one on sleep. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but Huberman, that will be a good place to just start, or come see one of us, and we'll talk to you about it. Well, that's great. You gave some good tips, and you were talking about sun exposure too. And it seems that lately there's been a lot more information coming out about infrared exposure, yes. and that vitamin D may be an important thing to have a have a good level, but then. Maybe it's just a marker for what you really need, which is the infrared. Correct. Did, did yeah, you there's want to a talk great, about that a little bit. Sure. I mean, there's there's a great podcast on medcram.com. He has a lot of information about that. But in the wintertime, we tend, tend and with COVID, we tend to be inside. And we're finding that people who have low vitamin D 
one, have much higher risk of very severe COVID and real problems with that. And that's also associated with fibromyalgia. People with low vitamin D have worse symptoms of fibromyalgia. So we certainly would want to test the vitamin D level and supplement if needed. But it's not just the, the research is showing it's not just the vitamin D from the sun. Even if you're outside and have a jacket on and are covered, there is infrared light that gets through that and gets to you and really helps your immunity and your health. And we see that in patients. If you have patients in a hospital and put them outside, it makes a huge difference on their recovery. There, there have been some studies on that. So get out, especially in the morning, if you're having trouble sleeping, having that light affect, uh, you know, get into your eyes, which then affects your brain and your melatonin, your in all these other levels in your brain, helps you sleep better and helps you heal better. I was able to see some of that Medcram, and he talked about that as long as you could feel the warmth yes. from the sun, that even if you were your skin was covered, that infrared can go like eight centimeters deep into your skin. Mm -hmm. So it can penetrate even if yeah. you have a covering on. So if you're worrying about not being exposed to the sun as far as your skin goes, it, that's it's still beneficial. Oh, we have something. You have suntan lotion on. You know, yes. we don't want you, you know, especially on your face, because we don't want to fix one thing and give you another. <laughs> so right. don't but even if you put the sunscreen on, you could still get that infrared. Infrared, correct. Right. So that's great. Yeah. We just have something nice. Uh, I've seen Kathy Cooks that I'm consulting with Dr. Shore, and she's great. It's Aww. not fibromyalgia, but she has so much knowledge and is very caring. So that's really nice. Thank you. Sometimes it's, nice to see. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just nice to see that. Yeah. So now you talked about diet. Trish, you want to know, can a plant-based diet help with fibromyalgia? Absolutely. There is no question about it. And again, what you're doing with a plant-based diet is you are bathing your body with good nutrition, which helps you heal from anything. And it's, it takes down inflammation, which again is some of the other stuff, not necessarily fibromyalgia, but it helps decrease um, all, it, you know, you're, you're getting rid of foods that are inflammatory, that cause cancer, that ha have high IGF-1, that have all kinds of negative things that affect your body. It, it changes your omega, it's three to six ratio, things like that. So you're not having bad things like, and what I would consider bad things, and I know people say, don't say there's bad foods, but you know, cigarettes are bad, we know that. So I do think that you know, you want to avoid things that cause cancer, like processed meats, like um, process, lots of processed foods, lots of oils can cause problems. Um, you know, you don't want anything in my mind, you don't want cheeses, you don't want alcohol, alcohol is associated, can make fibromyalgia worse and can make breast cancer worse and can make cholesterol and blood pressure worse. So there's things that you just want to avoid. So by having a whole food plant-based diet that's very healthy, you're getting, you're not eating the other stuff, which is important. So you're not causing toxins, not bringing toxins into your body. Then you're bringing lots of great phytonutrients and good um, ingredients that, that bathe your body with nutri nutrition and nutrients and help you heal. And that's so important. With fibromyalgia, you've got to worry about fats too. So you want a low fat um, whole food plant-based diet that has um, lots of probiotics in it because you want to affect your gut microbiome. So you want lots of fiber in there, which will help 
you uh, heal better from uh, help decrease the symptoms of fibromyalgia. Um, some people, like I said, may need a gluten-free diet, but not everybody. So those are some of the things that, yes, there is no question. I've had uh, quite a few of my patients, when they go on a plant-based diet, they lose weight they um, so that their, their joints don't hurt as much and you don't have the other pain. And then their fibromyalgia symptom, they're able to move more, which is an important part of fibromyalgia for treatment. And it, it also changes the serotonin in their gut and in their brain, which helps all the mood changes. It helps you sleep better. So yes, being on a whole food plant-based diet is no question the best option for fibromyalgia and everything else. But I think about how people who maybe they don't have fibromyalgia, but when they report that after adopting a plant-based lifestyle, that some of their brain fog lifts, that they start to feel a little less achy, a little less irritable, that things that they didn't even really realize that they were experiencing, they just thought they were normal to feel maybe for their age or just maybe because of all the people that they associate with feel that way. You would think that there may be some other symptoms that are on top of what the person who has fibromyalgia is experiencing, and maybe some of it could be relieved. So there's also another yeah. aspect of the plant-based diet that helps. When you're eating a plant-based diet, you're eating more nutrient, a higher nutrient density, low calorie diet. And they have found that some people with fibromyalgia do better with a hypocaloric diet, which is, you know, not as many calories. Now you can starve yourself. But why do that when you can already cut your calories, maybe 500 calories per day, just by switching your diet to a plant-based diet and still eating as much as you want? So you're not hungry and you're getting all the nutrients you need, but you're still cutting the calories. So that's another way by switching to plant-based that it's hypocaloric. And that's been shown to help some people with, with fibromyalgia. Wow. That's kind of a really win-win for that. <laughs> that's wonderful. So we're talking about diet. So Wendy wants to know what food should I eat or avoid if I have fibromyalgia? Again, anything that had a mother or a face, get rid of. So no cheese, no eggs, no, um, no animal products. So meats and fish and things like that. And you want to consider increasing your omega-3s, okay, compared to omega-6s. You can do an elimination diet and get rid of certain things like some wheats and some um, citrus, citrus fruits in the beginning, you know, things like that, because some people react to them. Eventually you want to bring back as much as you want. You want variety. Some people say a low FODMAPs diet really helps with fibromyalgia. You can still have tons of stuff like you can have soy products, uh, bok choy, chia seeds, flax seeds, kale, broccoli, oranges, you know, things like that. You can have quinoa, you can have, um, buckwheat groats, you can have teff, sorghum, spinach, sesame seeds, tofu, uh, tempeh, lots of really good things like that. You can have fortified things, you know, you can have some soy milks to make sure you're getting in your good phytoestrogens. You can have pumpkins and nuts and seeds. If you have a small amount of them, not a lot, you know, wild rices, you can have all kinds of things. So you can start just with really simple and start with, you know, brown rice and some um, cooked fruits to, because you can digest those better. You can have some cooked greens and yellow uh, vegetables and orange vegetables like asparagus and broccoli and chard and collards, um, spinach, things, sweet potatoes and taro. And then 
as your symptoms decrease and improve, then you can start adding in some of the other ones that you've taken out one at a time to see if it triggers you because you don't want to be triggered. And if it triggers you, stop it again, wait for two weeks and try it again. If it triggers you a second time, then, then let's get that out of your diet for now. But as people change their gut microbiome, as they get healthier, I found people eventually later on can add bad add back more things. My thing is start plant-based, whole food plant-based. If that's not decreasing your symptoms, switch over and, and do more of an elimination diet and then add more and more things. But we can help you work with that at Plant-Based Telehealth. There's quite a few, all of our doctors know how to do that and help you be really specific about what to do. That must be such a relief for people to hear that they actually would have a physician that could be on board with trying this lifestyle and actually help them tweak it because it's an individual thing. It's not just a one size fits all for everyone. Like you yeah, said. And it's not just foods. It's not, but it's, it's stress, it's sleep, it's community. It's a whole bunch of things. And then we are all physicians. So if you need medications, one, we can help you. Two, if you're on medications and you're doing better and can get want to get off, we love, every single one of us loves to get our patients off of medicines because we're so lucky we have some medicines around that can help us, but I'm all for the least that works. And so if you don't need it, don't use it. I like that. The least that works. That's a really good one. Pam said, I heard Dr. Furman said that fibromyalgic patients should avoid fried baked starches. I'm not sure why. What do so, you So um, when you fry, first of all, you should never use anything with oil. Okay. So if you're frying, make sure you're either dry frying or like dry sauteing. And that's putting, you know, like getting your pan really hot and putting your onions in and letting the, the natural oils come out of it or using water or using a low sodium or no sodium um, vegetable broth. Those are all good ways to do it. But when you cook foods, it changes them a little bit. It's the same thing, you know, so some things get better when you cook them. Some things, you know, get more nutrients that come out and some things get less. Some like you want to cook your, your mushrooms. You would never want to have mushrooms technically that are not cooked. There's some kind of guarantee. There, yeah, in there, that, that can be a problem. Tomatoes, it's really good every day to have a little bit of cooked and a little raw onion, just, you know, a little bit of both because each one has their own positive effects. So overall, yeah, with fibromyalgia, when you're cooking, you can change the, the aspects of the food. And so the raw tends to work better to fix your gut microbiome originally. Um, and that's probably why he's saying that. Maybe he might have been talking about acrylamides or something too. I'm right. Sure. Well, you know, you think, yeah. and that's a very good point. I'm so sorry. Acrylamides are very important for, especially with meats and things when you're cooking and, and browning, you get some acrylamides, but even with cooking some vegetables, you can get some on, and that can be more damaging than not. When you're trying to reverse a disease, you want to not put anything damaging in your body. Maybe we could explain what would a food look like. We could actually know what it would look like if it right. was forming acrylamides. So it's, it's that the browning, crunchy kind of thing on the foods is what you see. Like, so if you are, if when you're raw, you don't actually have to have it not cooked at all. You can use very low temperatures for longer times. Mm -hmm. And then you don't get that browning effect and that crunchy yeah. effect on on it. 
or you could steam something even right. if, if you didn't want to be strictly raw you could still steam it or wok it yep. without getting browning on it talking about food gina want to know would juicing be appropriate to add to the whole food plant-based protocol for fibromyalgia uh, gina that's a really good question and i don't know if there's any true um studies out there on juicing versus not the way I like to do things. And I juice occasionally when I'm, uh, but not often because I like keeping the fiber in. So I do smoothies more than I juice. So I will, I like keeping things as whole as possible. So when you juice, you're getting rid of a lot of the fibers. Um, and with that, probably some of the micronutrients, you still have a quite a bit in there and that's good. And that may be a way to start things. Like for example, after we do a surgery, we might start people with a juice to get their gut microbiome going and then add the smoothies and then add the real foods. So as much as you can go to the real foods, but if you can't, like if you're unable to, to eat as much as sometimes a plant-based diet does to maintain your weight, you can make a smoothie, put that in and you can get much more concentrated stuff. Now, you never, 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 never want to drink the smoothie or the juice really quickly. Because if you drink the juice or the smoothie quickly, you're going to get a lot of sugar into your gut at the same, same time. And you'll get the absorption will be much faster. And it's faster with the smoothie, excuse me, with the juice than the smoothie. So the smoothie has a fiber that's really important. You're breaking down some, but it's still, it helps decrease the, how quickly you, um, absorb the nutrients. And if you absorb the, the sugars in the, too fast, you get an insulin spike, which increases your IGF-1, which increases inflammation. So I would go more towards the raw whole foods first, or, you know, steamed or slightly cooked, but low temperatures and mix it up a tiny bit. Variety is a very good thing in my mind. And then if you have to, then go to the smoothies. And if you have to, if you really can't handle that, because, you know, uh, you, something else is going on, then you can go to the juice, but again, drink it slowly. Oh, that's very good. That's good to hear. We're talking about eating. How about this? So Wilma wants to know, can fasting help to heal? Absolutely. Yes. So there is a lot of research on fasting and how it affects our bodies. Um, and again, fibromyalgia is not so much a inflammatory thing, but our bodies repair when we fast. And that's why sleeping is so important because we need time to repair and you need time to repair when you have fibromyalgia. And so there, there's quite a few different ways to fast. You can do eating certain times a day. So stop eating at six o'clock at night and don't eat until the next morning at 10 o'clock in the morning or something, or stop eating at four o'clock in the e evening and then don't eat till the next morning. And that's a everyday timed fast where, you know, maybe you're eating uh, only 10 out of 24 hours or only eating eight out of 24 hours. And that really helps to let your body recover. There's also fasting where you do a 24 hour fast or a 36 hour fast. So you can eat dinner one night and not eat until the next night's dinner or not eat until, you know, give yourself a good time to fast. I do not suggest that you do fasting of over two to three days without a doctor's involvement because you can get into trouble with that. But there are places like True North in California where they water fast people for, I think, up to 40 days. That's, and it really changes. It has helped people 
reverse lots of diseases. And, but that is very, very closely monitored with blood tests regularly with you. And also when you're fasting for that extended period of time, you're not moving. You're not, you're not fasting and then going doing a 10 mile walk. That's not a good idea. So on your fast days, I would do less exercise. And if you're going to fast more than a couple of days in a row, don't do it without supervision. Yeah, that's very good. Very good advice. Brandon want to know what are easy whole food plant-based meals I can prepare? I have extreme fatigue due to fibromyalgia. So Brandon, that is an excellent question. Um, whether you are fatigued from fibromyalgia or just busy because you're working and have kids and you just don't have time, batch cooking is a really great thing. And the things I love in my kitchen are my Instapot and my Vitamix. Those are two things that I use almost every day. But the Instapot, you can batch cook. Instapots also can slow cook. So you can put something in in the morning or in at night and put it on a timer or slow cook it overnight and you'll have food for the next day. So some soups, you know, especially in the wintertime, soups and grains and things. So I batch cook a bunch of grains. And then I put them, then I um, put them into single serving dishes and put them in the fridge. And then I take them out when I need them. Um, salads, things like that. You can take, go get to, go to the grocery store and get a whole bunch of um, pre-made salads. Don't use the dressings and the other stuff that they put in there. You know, give them to your dogs or your cats or, you know, to friends or something like that. But just use those salads and just munch out of those salad bags. You know, those are easy. You don't have to prepare frozen foods like frozen veggies and frozen um, fruits. That's what I do because my fruits go bad and I hate wasting food. So I just get a whole bunch of different frozen foods, fruits. And so I have my batch cooked grains. I put the frozen fruits on there, let them defrost. And, and then I have my breakfast. So those are easy, quick things that can help. Um, that's what I think. Uh, Amy, do you have other suggestions? Well, I have a playlist on my YouTube channel called, Hey, I Can Make That. And I, I created it because I'm not one that likes to cook in the kitchen. I just want something simple and let's go. And so these are just meals that are just, maybe you could even just dump in salt-free different things that you get in cans and mash them up and there you go. So they're just very quick, easy things that you can do if you can't stand long or you just can't do very much at a time. So I'll put a link to that too. But I agree the batch because that is just awesome. And the Instapot's great because you press the button, you leave. Yes. You go rest, you come back and it's ready. Mm -hmm. It's You don't have to pay attention to it. It's just wonderful. And you can make just all kinds of wonderful meals in there. Um, yeah, very good. Ellen wanted to know, can fibromyalgia cause shortness of breath? So technically, it doesn't cause shortness of breath. However, if you are deconditioned because you haven't been moving because you have fibromyalgia, that can cause shortness of breath. I would want to know, I would want to have you seen by myself or one of us in, in our practice to find out exactly what you mean by the shortness of breath, how long has it's been going on, and is there another reason for that? But certainly when you're deconditioned because you're so fatigued that you can't move a lot and you start to move, you can feel shortness of breath sometimes, but it's the deconditioning, not the fibromyalgia itself. Carla want to know, can fibromyalgia cause pain 
on the top of the skull. Interesting. Probably yes. And in fact, I think I've had some patients who've had that. It technically usually is in different parts of your body, like your back, your shoulders, your legs, things like that. But, you know, it depends on what kind of pain you're having. Is it sudden? Is it long? But I've, I've definitely had people who've had different pain syndromes. Now, the other thing with fibromyalgia is it's a perception of pain. Now, that doesn't mean you're a weakling or anything like that, or there's anything wrong with you. It's this hypersensitivity that your nerves have to things. And so instead of feeling a touch like somebody else who doesn't have fibromyalgia would feel, it actually feels like somebody's burning your skin with a match or something. So it's a, a perception issue. And we think that has to do with, it could be either be the nerves itself are, are, are damaged, or there's um, a problem with the neurons and the sensitivities in the brain in, in perceiving that. It's real. It's a real hypersensitivity issue. And so, yeah, if you're having areas of your body that just have extra pain, it could be a hypersensitivity thing. Interesting. You are a medical doctor. You're an MD but you're also a lifestyle medicine doctor. And I think that's so appropriate to talk about lifestyle medicine today, especially. So do you want to start with one of the pillars of health and how it relates to helping people with fibromyalgia? Sure. Well, first, before I forget, because we were just talking about pain, there's a great book called Explain Pain, and it's by David Butler, Dr. Lorimer Mosley. And it's expensive. It's really expensive. So if you can find it in your library, it's a great place to go. Um, but it's a great one to explain pain. And then there's some TED Talks about pain that are really good on fibromyalgia and pain and, and the pain sensitivity and the pain perception issues. But off to lifestyle medicine. So there are six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And then Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute has added three more. Oh. But Okay. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's nutrition. It's what you feed your body. It's sleep. It's stress. It's avoiding toxins like alcohol and processed food and, and cigarette smoking. So if you have fibromyalgia and you smoke, stop today, please. I don't know if we've mentioned sleep. It's connectivity with other people. It's finding a, a purpose in life. So Rochester added the purpose, getting outside. And I don't remember if theirs was laughing or not, but enjoying finding enjoyment in life. So laughing is really important. So if you have fibromyalgia, put on some really good comedians on the on the screen, not before bed, but and laugh. Practice just like anything else. You have to practice at it. You can practice at laughing. You can practice at getting involved in a community. Um, so getting on a fibromyalgia support group, getting into plant-based telehealth, or there's other options out there like Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute has some modules on, on how to appreciate life more and, and be happier. So get into those. Meditation, stress reduction, that's all a part of, like I said, it's a multimodality treatment for fibromyalgia. It is not one thing. It's not just meds. It's not just food. It's not just sleep. It's all those together. And you need to incorporate as much as you can to get your energy back and feel better. I think about laughing and meditating. One of the things they have in common, other than just getting your mind away from other things, is that it forces you to take in deep breaths. Yeah, so important. And especially before bedtime, I do a lot of deep breaths. You know, there's different options. Like there's a um, breathe in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. If you do that several times, that actually has been studied against 
lorazepam, which is a medicine and works really well for bringing down anxiety. There's cognitive behavioral therapy to help change your mindset against what's happening. So we can have pain and pain's one thing, but we don't want to suffer along with the pain. And that's letting pain control our lives. Massages, if you, if you, in this time where it's really hard to get in the contact that we need, the hugs that we need, get a massage if you have somebody who you trust who is being very, very careful about COVID and other things. And there's other options for fibromyalgia. There's newer treatments out there that they're thinking about. Um, but, you know, start with the basics first. This isn't a question, but I want to put this up. Apple 369 said, one of the hardest things with fibromyalgia is the dismissal of our reality and the stigma. I thought that that was so important to put that up because, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to talk about your patients, but you have had patients, your medical doctor, and you've had patients, right, that have had this. So, yes, I have. And I've got to say that when... When fibromyalgia first came out as an entity, we didn't know anything about it. And doctors hate that. They hate not knowing. And they hate not feeling like they can help somebody. It was a big stigma from the doctor community, from the medical community. And it's also a stigma from your family and friends who you look normal. You look like you should be fine. And you are normal, but you're not fine. You know what I mean? You're you're tired. You have that fatigue. You have the mental fog. You have the pain. The chronic pain is so devastating. It's so energy sapping. So just the pain itself makes you tired. It is. It's really a sad thing that that's, that's a reality of fibromyalgia and a lot of other things, but specifically fibromyalgia, because we're only beginning to learn that it really is a physiological issue. And it's not just this. Some people used to think it was made up or it was people trying to get out of work or people trying to get out of doing their responsibilities. And it's not. It's, it's real and it's tough for the people who are going through it and their family members and their supporters, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough. So there are now, one of the good things about COVID is there's a lot of online meetings and groups that you can hook into. And so hook into that support, you know, for people who really have experienced it and know it and have, have tips for you to get through every day. And that would also help you with your community because that's absolutely one of those pillars that you really need to yeah address. Rebecca wanted to know, is fibromyalgia causing my fever? That's a good question. Probably not. So I'd like to find out what else is could be causing your fever. Um, do you have, you know, a low grade infection somewhere like a tooth infection that it's low grade, so you don't even feel it yet? Do you have something else going on? So no, I don't think the fibromyalgia itself is causing the fever. Definitely get seen and make sure that your labs are good, like your white count, your red count are good, and not something else is not happening that you don't know about. A low-grade underlying urinary tract infection, tooth infection, or something else. Those kinds of things can really make your whole body feel not well anyway. So Right. And that will make all the symptoms of the fibromyalgia worse. Yeah. Okay. So Sandra wanted to know... Should someone with fibromyalgia avoid the COVID vaccine? Honestly, Sandra, no, absolutely not. I actually think that it's another reason to get it. <laughs> we haven't seen an increase of fibromyalgia with the COVID vaccine. 
So that's good. There are certain people who have other things that they shouldn't get it, but it's very rare. And there's reasons why you shouldn't. But the COVID vaccine has proven to be extremely important in preventing death and hospitalization from COVID. For example, even in my family, when my father was sick of something other than COVID, he was not able to get into the hospital for the help he needed. And so we see a lot of people with cancers or pregnant women who are getting sick because they people aren't getting the vaccine or people not getting into the hospitals for the surgeries they need. My mom even, she had to wait, I think it was two or three months before she could get into the hospital to get the hip replacement she needed. So she was crawling to the bathroom because she couldn't get the surgery she needed. Fibromyalgia is not a reason not to get it. And I do support getting it. Glad that question came up because I think that's really important to talk about. We talked about some activity. John want to know, is it advisable to push yourself to do everyday physical activity if you have fibromyalgia? I think it is important to do some physical activity every day. Now, pushing yourself is interesting how much it's that balance. You know, um, I do think at least three times a week, you should have flexibility and strength training. And whether that's just being at home and stretching, or just being home and taking the cans of a gallon of water and lifting it while you're sitting, if that's all you can do, it's important. I think walking is very important and doing that every day. Now with fibromyalgia, you don't want to sit there and push yourself and do an out, do nothing for a couple of days and then do an hour of work. You can't do that. That's going to knock you down. So don't. But even if you do five minutes in the morning when you wake up of just stretching and moving and things that move your body, get it going. And then after what I suggest is after every meal, get up and move. Whether you're walking around your house, go outside, walk around the block once. You know, do that three or four times a day if you can. So break it up so that you have different, you're not overextending yourself at one point and then it'll knock you out for a day or two. I would like something every day, then the stretching and and the flexibility at least three days and um, five minutes at a time, if that's all you can do. If you're sitting here watching this podcast and you stand up and just walk in place for five minutes, that's fine, but do that several times a day and that should help You'll notice, especially if you do a diary of your symptoms and your pain and your your energy, if you can up it a little bit, you know, even if it's every week, up it by five minutes at a time every week, you'll get to be better than you were before. And that's good. Wow. That sounds like a great idea to keep a journal because earlier we were talking about food and maybe some intolerances and things. So I guess if somebody just had that journal where they what would they, they would maybe talk about the food that they're eating and their movement and what else? So I do, because I personally have had to journal, um, because not because of fibromyalgia, because of my food addiction, I've journaled with, um, I write down everything I eat when I, and this is for me when I'm getting tempted by things, because I really want, or, or if I've had a, some, I'm a chocoholic. So if I've had some chocolate, then I want more and more and more. And so I try and avoid it in the first place. But sometimes I have to go back to my diary. And I have food on one side, exercise on the other, and then I have mood and I just put in, uh, you know, different times of the day, a smiley face or sad face or a straight face or something like that, something that's really quick to tell me how I'm doing. And I find that that helps a lot. And as you said, Amy, it's very important if you're trying to do a food um, elimination or if something you think triggers you, when you look back, you can really see if it does trigger you. 
And you've got to remember too, though, what you eat right now may not be immediate response. So some people with like peanut allergies, you know, they eat it and they immediately get a response, but some things stay in your system for a while. So you want to see what you ate today and how you feel the next day. Keeping that diary is so helpful. And I see a lot of people who think they're not doing better, but they're sending me their food diaries. And I'm like, they're like, oh gosh, I'm not doing any better. I'm like, look, when you first started, you were unhappy every single day and you had pain every single day. Now you have pain every other day and you have many more days of happiness. It is getting better. We forget that things improve. And it's nice to look back and say, oh yeah, that's where I started. And here I am 12 weeks later, a different person. So. Wow, that's so encouraging. And I wanted to share because Apple said, my fibro journal records my sleep, mood, weather, food, social interaction, and creativity play. Those are really good things to record. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Keep that up. Yeah, very good. Richard wanted to know, can fibromyalgia cause muscle twitching? Yes and no. Again, this is probably, it's hard to tell whether it's really the fibromyalgia or it's the inactivity, but it also can be some other things like electrolyte imbalance or some mineral imbalance. So something to check would be zinc or your magnesium or things like that. Also, there's other things that can cause mus muscle twitching. So we need to make sure that it's not something else. So I would suggest talking to your doctor about that. Stress can cause intermittent muscle twitching. Um, and so fibromyalgia stresses you. So yes and no. That's something I'd like to have somebody talk to you professionally about to make sure that there's not something else going on. Deb asks, are there effective medications to address fibromyalgia pain? Now that is a great question. And one of the things I will start with is opioids are not a good option. So don't, if you have a doctor who says, here, I'm going to give you some opioids for that. Don't go find another doctor. Okay. Because that's not really the treatment, but so for medications, there are things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories alone or in combination. So that would be in a leave with Tylenol or something like that. There are, there's tramadol, which can help, but which is prescription. There are non-pain meds that work on pain. Like there's a SNRI, serotonin nor norepi reuptake inhibitor that works really, really well called Cymbalta or Duloxetine, which I found works really well with some of my patients. When it works, it's phenomenal. When it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But there, there are SSRIs, SNRIs. There are other things like gabapentin or Lyrica, which change the um, nerve perception of pain that sometimes work. But remember that every medicine has a side effect. So again, you want the least that works. You don't want to be on too many meds and it's not working. So that's where there are some good medications out there that can work. It's again, it's not meds and, and ignore the, the lifestyle part. You have to have the lifestyle part too. So it's it's a combination if you need the combination with the meds. Very good. We've had a lot of questions and, we, and we're probably going to get more coming in, but I wanted to kind of stop and ask you, is there something that we haven't talked about as relating to fibromyalgia that you wanted to talk about? So there, it's interesting because when the person earlier was talking about the, is this real, is this stigma, you know, and, and people thinking it's not real. There are certain meds like naltrexone, which is an interesting medicine, which... 
um, works against uh, in, in the opiate part that would do nothing for somebody who doesn't have fibromyalgia, but has been shown to maybe do some changes on there. There's new options like for really severe cases. And I mean, this is really severe, you know, transcranial direct um, stimulation, magnetic stimulation. There's acupuncture, there's hypnosis, there's some inconsistent stuff on probiotics and, and replacing some um, things like, like zinc. But that's where I'd like to see like vitamin D. I would like to see your vitamin D level, your zinc level to see if you're low, let's replace that. And that might help. Um, again, I think we talked about the diet. So no, that's not anything else. So those are the things that I'm thinking of. Let me just see if there's anything else. Obviously, hypnotherapy works. Biofeedback can help. Heart rate variability can help. So these things that you're mentioning, you wouldn't be able to perform all these things, but you would, if somebody made a telehealth appointment with you, you could give them resources for these things? Absolutely. So with plant-based telehealth, we can check labs. We used Quest or uh, LabCorp. And so we find whatever is near you and you can do that that way. Or we can suggest what labs to have your doctors check. We can prescribe medications. You know, you let us know your pharmacy and we can talk about them or we can de-prescribe medications, even better. I mentioned Sleepio for Sleep is a great cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for sleep that's online. And I can prescribe that for people. We can suggest physical therapy, which I think is a good option. If you haven't been moving or you have questions about how to move correctly, I can certainly give you ideas about how to slowly increase your resistance training and, and moving more. So there's lots of things we can do. And we can also try and see, is, is there anything else that is happening that it's not fibromyalgia? All of our docs can do that for you. Excellent. And again, I want to let everybody know that if they wanted to contact you or any of the other docs, they could go to plantbasedtelehealth.com and we'll put a link right in the show notes so that they can go directly to it. And all of you that are watching or listening. Tell us, what are you going to remember from this broadcast? What is your takeaway? Because a lot of times when people are searching for answers, sometimes they just read comments before they even look at a video and that could help them a lot. And you have just been so helpful, Dr. Shore. This is such a important topic and there's so many people out there that are looking for answers. And I really think you gave a lot of answers today. And I so appreciate every time you come on and I hope people will go and check the other videos that you broadcast that you've done with us in the past, because you just always so super awesome when you're here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. You, you do such a great job of getting the message out there. So thank you. Oh, well, thanks. I wanted to also thank Jess Tass Voice and she did the introductions and she did the countdown. She's doing quite a lot of things and she's even going to tell us who's coming up next. Executive producer of the movie, The Game Changers. Gwen teaches kickstart classes at her educational restaurant, Green Fair Organic Cafe. Join us for a Q&A with Gwen Whitaker on Wednesday, March 2nd, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Be Green with Amy Live. Well, until I see all of you guys again, if I, you could please type in comments. You could type in my tagline, which is be strong, be well, and be green. And Dr. Shoyer, she's so talented because she also does sign language. We didn't talk about that today, but she does. So if you can join me and Dr. Shore when I say my tagline. Are you ready, Dr. Shore? Uh, yes, I am. So until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. <laughs>
Bye-bye, everyone. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy.